James chapter number five in your Bible, and we'll continue. Matter of fact, we're talking about prayer today, and I think it's very timely and very fitting how God works it out. James chapter number five. If you're new to Heritage, I love saying this. There's moments in my week that I look forward to, and this moment right here, I look forward to the most out of every single moment. Not the message. You think, oh, the message? No, 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 not that. I look forward to like the 30 seconds before the message where I get to tell you what kind of church we are. And I'm looking forward, so please indulge me. I've been looking forward to this all week. Here we go. Ready? Here at Heritage, we believe the Bible and we preach the Bible verse by verse. Next chapter, next verse, thus saith the Lord. Whatever God says, we will say it. Where the Bible is loud, we're going to be loud. Where the Bible is quiet, we'll be quiet. Sometimes people say, why don't you preach on this? Why don't you talk about this? We will talk about it as much as the Bible talks about it. It is about God's word. It's about exalting him and what he has told us to do. There's a lot of things that I can say, but there's a whole lot of things that God has already said that we need to learn and grow together. So when we come to heritage, all we're doing is we're going deep in the word of God and we're learning what is the Bible telling us we need to understand. So uh, that's what we do every single week. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're in James chapter number five. We've gone verse by verse. And this week we're going to cover verses 13 through 18. And really the title of the the message this, this morning is this, we need a miracle. We need a miracle. And God, in his word, we see often where God worked in a powerful way, where we see God doing a miracle. And we see that here in the book of James, where God is working and he's showing us what he's able to do in our lives. Here's the key, though. When we pray. When we pray. All of this in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, is prefaced and hung on that statement. What happens when we pray? As a Christian, we, we go to God in prayer. We ask God for help. We ask God for, for healing. We ask God for blessing. We ask God for all kinds of things. You know, you may ask God to help your football team do really well this season. That's okay, right? You can pray to God uh, to help your football team do really well. Sometimes we, we stop and we pray for our food. My son, Miles, he likes to pray because he doesn't pray a long prayer when it's time for dinner. He prays a very short prayer because he is hungry and he wants to eat. And so he says, dear Lord, bless the food. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes Sometimes when Miles is uh, praying before bedtime, we'll have a word of prayer, and he'll say, Daddy, I want to pray. I'll say, go ahead, Miles, go ahead and pray before you go to bed. He'll say, dear Jesus, bless the food. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. He's just consistent in that, just consistent in that prayer time, and, and I don't know what food he's blessing, but there's some food somewhere. Maybe your food's being blessed. If that food tastes good, that burger tastes good, you thank my seven-year-old Miles. He blessed that food for you. But when we pray, God does something. When we pray, things can happen. And James here is teaching these Christians right now the importance and the power of prayer, talking to God. These were young Christians. Understand this. These were young Christians who were learning how to grow closer to God. James is teaching them what the Bible says and what God says. And prayer is a key part of the Christian life. And James here takes the moment. He says, listen, let me tell you what happens when you pray. And there's some powerful things we'll look at here this morning. We see, first of all, number one, that when we pray, healing is possible. Healing is possible. Look at verse number 13. It says this, and the the verses are on the screen, by the way, if you want to look at the verses. It says, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. 
And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. We see, first of all, the questions from a caring pastor. James was a pastor to these Christians. Though they weren't meeting like this in a room, they were scattered abroad. And James is writing this letter to help them understand the importance of prayer. And he gives these questions to the congregation. It's almost as if he's in the room with them and he's talking to them, putting his arm around them, saying, hey, is anybody here feeling bad? Are you, are you suffering? Are you cheerful? Are you sick? He asked three specific questions. We see he cared about their current condition. He cared about them. We see this in these, in these questions that he, he truly cared about how they were doing. He says, is anybody suffering? You're going through a tough time right now. Is anybody cheerful? Maybe things are going well for you. Or is there anybody sick, physically sick? I want to know. Why is he asking these questions? Because James was a pastor who cared. By the way, the responsibilities of a pastor is to feed the flock biblically and to care for the flock consistently. That is the responsibilities. Pastors are to feed the flock. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, the, and a congregation like a shepherd and sheep. All right, this is what it's like, okay? This is in the Bible. I am like the shepherd, right? And so I don't have a big old, you know, staff, but I'm like a shepherd, right? And 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 I don't know if shepherds wore Nikes back then, but they should have, right? And so I'm a shepherd, right? And, and you are the sheep, and, and, and God likens that. He gives that picture because the shepherd cares for the sheep. The shepherd protects the sheep. The shepherd watches over the sheep. The shepherd feeds the sheep. He cares for the sheep. This is the job of the shepherd. The job of the shepherd is not to make sure that the other field is growing, the fence is put up. No, no. The shepherd's sole responsibility is to care for the preach the Bible here. We don't just preach the parts that we like and the parts that are really good and the parts that are really encouraging. We preach the whole counsel of God. If God said it, we will not skip it. The goal is to, is to preach every single verse with the way that God says it and to go through the Bible. Why? Because my sole responsibility is to feed the flock of God that is among you. And so every single week, I'm trying to prepare a spiritual meal for you, for you to be able to nourish on and to be able to enjoy and to be able to devour. That's why our, our message scripture. So if you was a sponge, you could wring it out and scripture verses would just come out. Why? Because it's not about feeding you my opinion or feeding you my preference. It says, feed the flock of God, the word of God. That's my responsibility. I'm supposed to preach the Bible faithfully. I'm supposed to feed you biblically. But then we see another part in, in, the, in the Bible where I'm supposed to care for the flock consistently. Look at uh, Proverbs 27 and verse number three. I think the, it's on the screen there. It says, know well the condition of your flocks. Talking to the same guys. So my job is to feed the flock biblically. And then my job is to know well the condition of the flock and give attention to the herds. Because why? In this congregation right now, there are people who are suffering. There are people who are cheerful. There are people who are, who are sick and going through a difficulty. And my job, the responsibility that I have as the pastor is to feed the flock biblically. And we will do that every single week, no matter what. And we will continue to do that. But also to know and care for the flock 
consistently. This is why, let me just side note here. This is why I'm so thankful for like Pastor Andrew that's here because a couple of weeks ago, I was the guy, you know, playing the guitar and doing all these different things. And I don't mind doing that. But if, as I'm doing all those things, it takes me away from the two things that God has clearly told me to do. And that is to what? Feed the flock biblically and to care for the flock consistently. And so now that I'm not up here playing the guitar or making sure all the practice goes and make sure all the instruments have their things, now that I'm not able to do that, now I can be out with you. How are you doing? What's going on? How are you feeling? How can we bless you? And, and, and how can we encourage you in your life? This is why I'm so thankful how God works where he brings people like Pastor Andrew and who have the skills. I don't have the skills. By the way, this is a confession. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Let me confess my faults to you. So some of you see me playing the guitar up here. I only know four chords, by the way. I'm a four chord guy. Literally only four chords. Every single time we played a song, I played the same four chords over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, right? I'm, I'm, I may have looked good, but I'm telling you, it was the same four. It don't, it's not impressive at all. I'm thankful for Pastor Andrew, who knows more than four chords, actually. He does. He actually knows more than four chords. And while he's up here worshiping the Lord and using his gifts and abilities for the Lord, I'm able to fulfill as the pastor my clear biblical responsibilities to preach the word of God biblically and to care for the flock consistently. And so I'm thankful uh, for that. But he, we see the, the questions of a, a caring pastor. We see that he asked these questions, and then we see the answers have a spiritual priority. Look at the next uh, part of the next verse here, verse 13. It says this. It says, is any among you suffering? Okay, what's the answer? Let him pray. Is any among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of a church. We see that the answers that James gives are have a spiritual priority. They all point to God. So that in your life, no matter what condition you find yourself in life, that probably the answer and the priority answer is something that has to do with God getting involved in that situation. Let him pray. Let him sing praises. Let him call for the elders of the church. We see that suffering should cause us to pray. If you're going through a difficulty right now, here's the answer for you. It says, if any of you suffering, let him pray. Suffering, James says, should cause us to pray. Why? Because prayer is relying upon God. He's saying success should cause us to praise. Why? Because praise is the acknowledgement of God's position. Listen, if, you're, if you might be going through a good time right now, and praise the Lord. Pray for the rest of the people that are going through a difficult time. But if you're going through a good time right now, you didn't get there because you're so good and you're so smart and you're so you're so cunning and you have just a great education no my friend God himself positioned you it is God the Bible says in John chapter 15 it's on the screen and verse number five for without me ye can do nothing nothing and sometimes we walk around I'm, I'm including I'm not getting on anybody I'm just saying well, let's, let's let's be real here sometimes we walk around in life and we go hey doing pretty good here hey Making some progress, right? And God just looks down and says, without me, you couldn't even tie that left shoe right there. You couldn't breathe another breath. And we think we're something. James says, no, 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 no. Hey, you're cheerful? Things are going good? You better look up. You better thank the Lord. He says, your success should cause us to praise. Then he says, sickness should cause us to petition. Let him call for the elders of the church. Petition brings support. Different church experiences. You may have heard this verse. We're going to walk through this verse together, right? Why? Because if God says it, we're not going to skip it, all right? And so we're going to walk through these verses here. What does he mean by this? He says this. He says, if we're sick, sick, like a physical sickness, 
He says, let him call for the elders of the church. That would be me, the pastors of the church, myself, Pastor Andrew, those that are in a pastoral position, the elders of the church. And he says, and let them pray over him. So our job is to pray over him. So prayer is the main purpose. Now notice this. Notice that it does sound and looking, look for people who are sick, okay? It says the people who are sick have to call for the elders. So I'm not, it's not my responsibility. Remember, my responsibility is to do two things. Preach the word biblically, care for the flock consistently. My job is not to walk around and go, you have a headache, come over here, come here. Boom, done, thank you, right? Throw that Tylenol away, right? You're not feeling well? Come on over to my house, man. We'll heal you up real good, right, okay? And I'm just, I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be uh, uh, negative, but I'm saying sometimes we see on television late at night when you can't sleep and you, you know, you're up and you whatever, right? And all of a sudden you turn the channel and you see a guy doing one of these and, you know, people falling back and doing all this stuff and healing and all these physical healings. Can I say this? That is not biblically right. It's not. It's not. Why? We never see in the Bible where God gives spiritual healing power or physical healing power to a pastor in the New Testament church. Now, we see it in the apostles. We see it, we see it there where he gave that during his earthly ministry, but we never see uh, where God gave that as a spiritual gift where a pastor could walk around and heal people. So this is why it's key that it's not the pastors going around calling and healing people. It's when you call for the pastor. So the situation is when you're sick, you call the pastors or the pastors of the church, the pastors will be requested. Then prayer is the main purpose. He says, to heal. They'll spiritualize the oil. They'll say, okay, let me go down and I'm gonna pray. This is very biblical to do. This is nothing wrong with this. If you were feeling sick and you had a sickness, I've done this before actually for other people. If you had a sickness and you wanted the elders of the church to pray over you, we would do this because the Bible says to do this, but we want to understand what it means to do it. What it means is you're coming to prayer and then we would anoint you with oil. The oil is balak. It's symbolic. The idea is that we see in the Bible, a matter of fact, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse number 1, it says this, that Samuel took the flask of oil and poured it on the head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? This is where uh, Samuel is anointing David with oil, a fresh anointing, right? A fresh anointing of oil. Why? The oil doesn't do anything spiritual. The oil is, is symbolic of being set apart to God. So as someone who is dealing with a sickness, when you want to call for the elders, you would call for them and then we would use oil, any type of oil, there's anointing oil, there's all kinds of different oils. We would anoint you and put on you oil as a symbolic gesture that you are consecrating yourself to God, asking God to bring healing to your life physically. Are you following me so far? Okay, this is verse by verse. Here we go, verse by verse. We could have skipped this and talked about something else. We're gonna go through to oil, all right, okay? And so, we're, so you're set apart to God. The oil is symbolic. Now also, healing happens according to God's will. 
So don't think that if you are dealing with, and I'm just being very open here, if you have a, a, a disease or cancer or something in your life, and you're like, man, there it is, right there. All I have to do is call for a pastor when you're available, come and get, get some oil on the way here, stop at Wegmans, pick up some oil, right? And then come, come to my house, put it on me, let's pray, and my cancer should be gone, right? My disease should be gone. It says this, it's a, if you go back to verse number uh, 14 there, uh, appreciate that. It says, it says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. It doesn't say it will heal the one who is sick. It says it will save the one. As in help them understand. Help them, if they don't know Christ, they can know Christ. They can have a relationship with him. The prayer of faith will heal the one, uh, will save the one who is sick. And the Lord, he will be forgiven. Here's what we understand, is that healing happens according to God's will. Why? Our faith is not in a prayer. Our faith is in the sovereignty of God. The Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. We cannot control and bend God's will to our will and say, okay, God, I did this. Now you better do this and this better happen. God is in control. Let me remind you that God is in control. He is sovereign. And we see here that if healing doesn't happen today, it will happen someday. You say, well, if God doesn't heal me, if I do this, then he's, he telling, he's not telling the truth. No, because one day God will raise you up. One day, he will heal you. And so healing happens. It could happen. And that when James is telling these, these people, hey, if you're sick, call for the elders of the church. Call for them, ask them to pray over you, consecrate yourself to God, and then allow God to work. And if he chooses to heal you, then you will be healed. If he doesn't choose you to heal you, know that you will be eventually healed. There we go, all right? Does that make crystal clear right there, right? Okay, beautiful, all right? So now let's move on here, okay? Because we see the, 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 the answers are spiritually prioritized and that we have to focus on getting right with God. See, the goal here is not necessarily that we would be uh, healed physically, but that we would be right spiritually. And so that we would trust God in the moment of our sickness. We see this, why? Confession is a powerful thing. The Bible says in First John chapter one and verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. We need to confess our sins to God. This is the purpose of this. The purpose of this exercise is to confess. God can heal? Absolutely. I believe he can. I believe God does healings all, all the time. I does. But it's God who does it. We don't bend God's will to what we want and say, God, heal me now. God heals and he uses this method in the church to provide uh, a direction for potential healing. So we see what happens when we pray? Healing is possible. Number two, what happens when we pray? People become vulnerable. People become vulnerable. We see this in verse number 16. The Bible says this, therefore confess your sins to one another. Well, I don't like that right there. <laughs> confess my sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We see vulnerability brings accountability. So James is saying here, listen, when we pray, healing is possible. God can work. When we pray, people become vulnerable. Verse 16, can, therefore confess your sins one to another. You see, so many people fall apart trying to hold it all together. 
They do. So many people fall apart trying to hold it all together. All right, I got to take care of the family. I got to take care of this and work and all these different things. And you're doing everything you can. And you don't want anybody to know that you're in over your head. You don't want anyone to know that your marriage isn't what, you know, it looks like on Facebook. You don't want anyone to know. And we, we live our lives holding all the stuff, making sure that everybody thinks we are what Facebook and Instagram says we are. And we don't have any vulnerability in our life. Can I tell you this? That vulnerability is actually celebrated in Christianity. Vulnerability is celebrated in Christianity. Why is that? We see that in, in the verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9. He says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will, what's it say? I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Are you telling me that the Bible says that we should walk around as Christians being so vulnerable that we actually celebrate our weaknesses? Yes. Because in Christianity, I know in culture, vulnerability is, is shunned. In society, you don't let them know you're weak. In society, you don't let them know that you don't have things together. In society, you make sure that everyone thinks it's a picture-perfect marriage and a picture-perfect home and picture-perfect kids and, and make sure that everybody knows that you have no problems. And the problem is, is that that's not how Christianity was designed. Christianity was designed for you to be vulnerable. I will gladly boast in my weakness. Now listen, I'm not coming in, I'm not telling you to come into church and go, hey guys, before church starts, man, our marriage is really bad. I'm not saying do that. You don't walk around, how you doing? Man, I'm telling you, I'm a horrible person. I did this sin last night and this sin last night and this sin last night, okay? Don't do that, all right? So what is he saying here? He's saying that vulnerability is celebrate. What he's saying is that it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to tell someone you're not okay. Let me say that again, because I've been waiting all week to say that, actually. It's okay to not be okay. And he's taking a step further and he's saying, it's okay to tell someone you're not okay. Because vulnerability is celebrated. You see, when we begin to pray and get honest with God, the Bible says, confess your sins one to another. Be vulnerable. Can I say this this morning? Everybody struggles with something. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Yep, that, mm -hmm. yep, that person you just thought about. Yep, they struggle. Because I know some of you doing right now, you're going through your Rolodex. You're going, well, I don't think they do. I don't know what they do. My, my, my boss, boss, man, they got it pretty good. Everybody struggles with something. Everybody deals with something because everyone's a sinner. And because everyone's a sinner, everybody struggles with the sin. You see, the thing about it is, is that when it comes to being vulnerable in church, confession of your sin is comfortable when relationships are close. Now, now I know some of you, I know some of you right now, you're like, yeah, uh, so is this part of like becoming a member at Heritage or I have to confess my sins to people? Is that kind of what you're talking about? No. But the problem is the reason why sometimes we don't, we're not willing to be vulnerable to others is because we're just not close, we're just not close to them. And that's not the way that church is designed. Church is designed for us to be close. Church is designed for us to have friendships. Church is designed for us to be open and honest with each other, not to walk around and say, okay, the goal this week, the goal this Sunday is when we walk in, honey, is to convince these people we have no problems, all right? So here we go, 
All right, here we go. Let's put it on. And we walk around. Hey, brother, how are you? Good to see you this morning. Welcome. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. Oh, having a great weekend. God is good. Hey, hey, all right. Awesome. Wonderful. Fantastic. Oh, man. God is so good. And then we walk. We smile. We put our smile on. Hello. Hello. We know what to say. Sing. Even when I can't see it. Right? And all this different thing. And the whole time our life is filled with something. And we're going through something. And we're, and we're, being, we're being overwhelmed by life or a situation. Or our marriage is not what it should be. Our kids. We're thinking, man, what's going on with them? And we walk around. And the reason why we can't be vulnerable in God's house is because we've not taken the time to build close relationships with each other. Because we walk into church, we sit in our seat, we check the box, we walk out. This is a family. Families are close. Families are open and honest with each other. You say, how do people get close enough in a church to be comfortable to confess their sins. I'm glad you asked that question. It's called small groups. And I happen to put up the QR code right here. If you're ready to confess your sins to people, go ahead and scan the QR code right now, please. You see, we don't have small groups just so we can like sit around and just kind of, because we didn't like Sunday school, okay? Because we, we, what we have small groups is because what, what you find in church is that people walk in, sit in their pew, do their thing, put their tithe in, walk out, and they never are able to deal with their problems. Come and tell you something right now. Out in that world, they'll give you all kinds of advice. Out in that world, they'll give you all kinds of counsel that is wrong and unbiblical. But in here, we preach the Bible. And when you get around somebody, when church goes from shoulder to shoulder, hello, 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 don't talk to me, don't talk to me, don't talk to me, I'm here. You see, when church goes from shoulder to shoulder to face... Now we start looking at people that are just like us. And we start asking the question, how are you doing? How are you doing? See, this is why we have small groups. This is, this is, this is why we are push small groups. Because I promise you, ask anyone who's in a small group right now, I guarantee you they'll tell you it's one of the best decisions they made. And I'm not saying that because I think I know that, but I'm telling you because they get in there and they feel like, Wow. I'm not the only one dealing with this. There's more people like this. You see, when we begin to pray, we begin to become vulnerable. We begin to be open. You see, vulnerability is celebrated in Christianity. Vulnerability brings responsibility. Now look what it says in the next verse, in verse 16. I want you to watch this now, watch this now. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. And what's the next part? And pray for one another. You see, prayer is the most important way that you can support someone's struggle. It is. He says, James says, pray for one another. And then he says, in Galatians chapter six, and verse number two, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the question is this, the question is this. Here's a question we'll put up on the screen. I think it's on the screen. Why is vulnerability a struggle in Christianity? Okay. So I just prove that, right? We come in, we sit down, we don't talk to anybody, right? I don't, I don't want anyone to know. Why is it that vulnerability is such a struggle in Christianity? I'll tell you, it's because we don't respond the way that James tells us to respond. He says, confess your sins and faults one to another. And then he says, the only response that you should have when someone tells you, when someone's willing to be vulnerable, is to pray for them. 
But how many times when someone tells us our struggle or tells us their struggle, how many times do we criticize them? Do we judge them? Someone says, all right, hey, here we go. I'm going I'm to share. In a smoker, I'm going to share. Okay, here we go. Hey, can you pray for my, man, my kids? Like, you know, I'm a mom, and I'm, like, trying to figure out this whole thing right now, okay? And I just need some help. And, right, and across the way, we have another mom, and, and the mom's, like, in their, in their mind, they're going, well, she just needs to read these seven books. And if she reads these seven books, she'll get her child under control. I don't understand what the problem is. Right? Because my son, you know, he don't, he don't do that. He don't do that. And, it's, and instead... You see, when someone is vulnerable to us, we have a responsibility now to pray. You imagine, you, you think people would be more vulnerable and open about their faults if they knew that anyone they told in their church would be willing to pray for them and not judge them and not criticize them and not make them feel bad. We're responsible to pray, not criticize. We're responsible to pray, not judge. We're responsible to pray, not post. We're responsible to pray, not complain. We're responsible to pray, not fear. We're responsible to pray, not panic. And I I pray that God would help us as a church that when someone gets up enough courage to say, you know what, I'm not okay. And if it's okay to tell someone I'm not okay, I'd like to tell you. And hopefully by the grace of God, when they tell you, they say, oh man, come on over here. Let's pray for this brother. Let's pray for this sister. Man, we want to encourage them because we know what it's like. We go through the same things. We're dealing with different things. This is why Christianity is so close and so close to the best. Because when we have people who are vulnerable, we have other people across the way who judge. And far be it from us that we would judge anybody who struggles. Let him that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. I'll tell you, I'm walking away. I'm putting my stone down. Oh, I'll tell you, the church is a beautiful place when it's a vulnerable place. It's a beautiful place. I'll say it again. The church... It's a beautiful place. I know. Mind-blowing, isn't it right there? I love that. <laughs> Amen. Got me, got me, he gets it. He gets it, right? The church is a beautiful place. There's great power in prayer. And I'm, I'm hastening this morning. I know we're a little over, but I, I'm hastening here. We see there's great power in prayer. It says in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And we just need to, we just need to pray for each other. This is, this is not a place where perfect people are allowed to come. Everyone's allowed to come to this church, except if you think you're perfect. And don't go to another church because, you know, there's not perfect people there either. Okay? All right? Pray for each other. Don't criticize each other. Don't judge each other. Who cares what somebody wears when they walk in the building? Who cares? Who cares? Right? And we want to walk around. I'm not saying this is not anybody. I have no one in mind. I'm just, I'm just talking because I'm, maybe this happens sometimes, right? I'm just saying that so many times we walk around and we just, we just think it's our job to judge everything that's wrong. And we look for things. And we, we want to criticize. Can I tell you this? I, listen, I'm saying this, and John said it earlier, but I want to say this. Look, this, I'm not a perfect pastor. And I, I would encourage you, I'm asking you, as your pastor, and I'm not saying, I don't know anybody, but I'm asking you in your conversations, you can choose to criticize me or you can pray for me. Can I ask you to pray for me? Can I ask you to pray for me? 
That's what I'm asking. I'm not going to do everything right. I'm not going to make every decision that you like. We're not going to do everything that maybe fits you, but I promise, I promise you, I promise you that we're doing it to try to bring glory to God. And I'm asking God for wisdom every single day. We've been at this a year, and we've got lots of years to come. But we've been at it a year, and I would encourage you, pray for me. Pray for my wife. Pray for my family. And I want to pray for you. Why? Because everyone struggles with something. And may we be a church that says, you know, we're going to pray. Why? So that healing can be possible. We're going to pray. Why? Because we want to become vulnerable to each other. How are you doing? And then we want to pray. Finally, we're done. Is because when we pray, miracles are inevitable. Miracles are inevitable. Look at verse 17. It says, Elijah was a man with a, with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Verse 18, then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. We see miracles are a result of fervent prayer. The Bible says in verse 17, Elijah was a man uh, with a nature like ours, and he prayed what? Fervently, passionately, man, with everything he had, that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. You know why? When I read this verse, I get encouraged. You know why? Because it shows me that a, a natural man, someone who's not like super spiritual and someone who's not, man, just has it all together. Just a natural man who struggles, who deals with things, they can go to God and we can ask God for the impossible. Elijah went to God. He said, God, I'm going to ask you for the impossible. He was a man like nature like ours, but he prayed fervently that it might not rain. Let me say this this morning, that impossible requests will lead to passionate prayers. Impossible requests. I know we pray for the food, and that's fine. I know we pray for God to give us a good day, and that's good too. I know we pray for safety. God, keep us safe as we travel. Bless the food and give us a good day. But I believe God is calling our church to pray some impossible prayers, to pray some prayers where we have to Lean upon God and say, God, I want you to do the impossible in, in this church. I want you to do the impossible in our lives. And when we go to God asking for the impossible, we will find ourselves on our knees begging God, God, do what I can't do. Change what I can't change. Work where I can't work. God, I'm trusting in you to do the impossible. We know God can, but we must start believing that he will. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that what? That he is. That he is who he says he is. Must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, we need to start praying, believing that God will heal our marriage. Not that he can. We need to pray an impossible prayer. God, I'm praying, believing you will heal my marriage. God, I'm praying and believing you will bring my kids back to the Lord. God, I'm praying and believing that you will see me through this trial. God, I'm praying and believing that you will do what I think is impossible in my life. You see, we can try to make things happen or we can pray and watch miracles happen. When Elijah prayed, a miracle happened. You know, this past year, God has done miracles at Heritage. Honestly, he has. And it's not because of me. It's despite me, honestly. It's because of him. It's his church 
We look and just see what God has done. I, I put just a, few, just a few statistics up here. And we're not about numbers, but man, every number has a name. But we see multiple people saved. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had where someone said, I trusted Christ in the service, or I prayed and accepted Christ. I, 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 I met a young uh, a man on the phone this past week, and he heard about our church. He called our church, and, and right there over the phone, he prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior right there. People been saved over in the kids' buildings and, and in teens and, and just all kinds of places where God has worked and, and done great things. Multiple people saved over 100 first-time guests. This is since last, last August. So last, this time last August, we've seen over 100 first-time guests either come into the room, watch online, visit from out of town. But it, it, actually, this is a conservative number, but it's about 100 first-time guests that have come through the doors or watched online at Heritage. We've seen 14 people baptized. Now, I understand, maybe you're new to Heritage and you say, well, that, is that a big number for the church? Is that a, is that a big, is that a big uh, accomplishment? Man, it's, it's, it's monumental. It's monumental. That in the last 12 months, we've seen 14 people take the step of faith and follow the Lord in baptism. We have three baptisms right after this service today, and we're excited about what God is doing in this place. We're excited about what he is doing. We've seen the church remodeled, and we thank, we're thankful for that. We celebrate that. We see the hire of uh, Pastor Andrew and his wife, Tyler, and we are thankful for that. That shows that God is expanding our team and synergy, man. We can do more. We're not slowing down uh, now that he's here, man. We're ramping it up, man, a little bit because we, now we got two horses pulling the plow here, man. That's called synergy, right? And we're going we're gonna to reach this community. Listen, what I, look, look at this. And by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but we've been going through something called a pandemic. And God has built his church. And God has been faithful. And God has shown himself real. And God has done miracles in this place. I remember when we walked in a year ago, I'll tell you, we were masked up and socially distant, tape on the thing, all kinds of things happening, wondering what are we going to do? How are we going to move forward? Are they going to shut us down? Is it going to close up? Are we going to have to go online? And now look what God has done. The, the, the chairs are filled up online. Is, is watching people are finding Christ, getting baptized. Man, God is doing a thing. Praise God for the impossible. Praise God for what he's doing in this church. Praise God for all the things that he has done. It's miracles. But you know what encourages me the most? Is what Elijah did in this last part of the verse. And we'll go to the last part of verse 18. It says this. It says in verse 18 of, uh, I think, go, go, a couple more slides there, Larry. One more. There we go, right there. So Elijah, he said with the nature, he said he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. That's a miracle. He prayed for a miracle. Look at verse 18. I like this part right here. Then he prayed again. Then he prayed again. See, Elijah wasn't satisfied with one miracle. He believed God for multiple miracles. And I'll tell you this. I can say this. God gave me this as clear as I'm standing here. That over this last year, God has done miracles. But you know what our prayer is? At one year, we're praying again. We're praying again. God, do a miracle. God, work in this church. And I would encourage you in your life. Maybe God's done some things in your life to get you to where you are, and you're thankful for that. Why don't you pray again for a miracle? And trust God that he will do what he says he will do. You see, when we pray, whew, Healing is possible. When we pray, man, people become vulnerable. And we, when we pray, we trust God for miracles to do the absolute impossible for his honor and glory. So I want to encourage you this morning. Here's the, here's the final thought. Pray to God. 
because God will do amazing things. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you.